Hello, everybody. Today, we are going to be doing a Q&A on MFA graduate portfolio applications. If you would like to grow as an artist and you can't afford an art class, we've got everything you need here at ArtProf, critiques, tutorials, and professional development. I know for a lot of people who are applying for an MFA or a BFA, let me know in the chat if you are applying to art school this year. We are getting into the home stretch. I know there are some deadlines that are coming up fairly soon. So I think for a lot of people, now is a really good time to take a step back and consider what can you adjust in this time period that's going to be impactful. I have been reading a lot of artist statements lately. And one thing I can tell you that I'm seeing across the board in pretty much every single MFA artist statement that I'm reading, they're pretty much all too broad. Basically, every single statement I've ever edited, I'm constantly telling people, distill it down to the most specific you can possibly get. Because what ends up happening is a lot of people want to tackle big topics, which is great. Obviously, those are the topics that really, I think, get people engaged. But at the same time, though, those of you who are applying for an MFA, you can't write about how your art is about the intersection of art and science. That is way, way too broad. You have to actually have done your research. And one thing I've seen looking at the MFA statements is a lot of people haven't done the research. So I'll say to people, listen, if you're going to mention science, you have to say what field of science. You need to find out what that field of science is actually about and how that directly relates to your studio practice. So what I see happening in MFA statements is people throwing around really gigantic topics, largely because they haven't really taken the time to explore it more deeply. So in some ways, writing your MFA statement it can actually be a process of clarifying what you really are after as an artist. And I think in that sense, it's quite a good exercise because a lot of people whose statements I've edited have said to me, oh yeah, I guess I didn't think about that. Yeah, <laughs> anything that you talk about in your statement, it really is something that should be much more than a passing thought. So a lot of statements will say things like, hey, what do you wanna do in the future? I mean, really think about it. Don't give the generic answer, which is I might want to teach college and I want to show in galleries and do grants and residencies. It's like everybody writes that. So you have to figure out what is your version that's specific to you? How can you not sound like every single MFA statement that is out there? So it looks like we've got Island Gal who is in an MFA right now. And it looks like Amanda has been writing their MFA statement for years. They're hard to write. I don't enjoy writing statements myself. And especially when you're writing one for a graduate degree application, it's stressful. And I'm curious to know how many people are applying for an MFA, how many people think they might wanna do it but aren't sure? because I've also had 
quite a few artist calls with people in the past who were so adamant, I, I definitely, I need to go to an MFA degree. But then after I talked to them about what their goals are, what they actually want to do, a lot of them realize, oh, whoa, that that's not <laughs> what I thought doing an MFA degree was all about. I thought it was this or people thinking that they had to have an MFA to, say, work in the animation industry or the illustration industry. And so a lot of the problem with MFAs is that people haven't done enough research. You got to do your homework <laughs> with these applications and really understand what it is that you're after. And the landscape today is so different because there are so many more learning options than there used to be. When I was a student, it was not like that. That really was your option for getting that information. And I think it's very different now. Emmy says, almost certainly never be in an art MFA. Wanted to join a live stream. Cool. So glad you're here, Emmy. Ginger says, I want to get an MFA. Pretty sure I want to teach eventually. Well, that's another, <laughs> you got to research that because every single MFA candidate will write, oh, I want to teach someday. But the thing is, I found a lot of people I talk to don't realize that the MFA only qualifies you to teach at the college level. It doesn't qualify you to teach elementary school, middle school, high school, that's a whole other degree. So do your research. And think about, we tell all of you to do this with cliches, right? What is the thing that everybody is going to do on their application? And ask yourself how you can say something else or get so specific about it that it no longer sounds like what everybody else puts on their application. So Andrew Raftery, who is the graduate printmaking professor of the RISD printmaking department, he's reviewed thousands of applications for their MFA program. And he told me that pretty much every MFA statement ends up saying something along the lines of, I want to be in a community with other artists. So those are the generic, basic things that everybody's going to write down. And I just think that people need to really think about, well, if everybody else is going to do that, what am I going to do? Maybe I do feel that way. Maybe I do really want to be in a community. That's fine. But you have to think a little bit more deliberately about what it is you really want to say. Anna says, I did my MFA 10 years ago, got a lot out of it, but I had a traumatic experience during it that interrupted it in a dramatic way. I've been thinking about doing another one. Oh, I'm really sorry to hear that, Anna. That's really awful that that happened to you. And yeah, I mean, maybe that's the way to move on from that experience, to have another experience at another program where you feel like you can start fresh. I don't know a lot of people that have done two MFAs. I feel like I know one person, which is not that much. For good reason. I mean, an MFA program is a pretty big commitment. It's not really something that a lot of people do more than once. But whatever I think you think is going to be a good fit for you moving forward. 
<laughs> Amanda says, not sure, go back and forth all the time. I'd actually really just like to get an honorary MFA. Yeah, I want to be one of those people where they're like, here's your honorary degree, la la la, you're so fancy and cool. Yeah, that's happened to me yet. <laughs> not really holding my breath on that one. They don't really give honorary degrees to people who are on YouTube for the most part. Maybe they do. I have no idea. At least in art school academia, they haven't. <laughs> Nacho says, what happens if your artwork changes during the process of the MFA? Do you need to stick to the themes, media, etc., of the work used to apply? No. I think once you get in, the expectation is that you will evolve and you will change. I feel like that would be not so great if you get into the program and you keep making the exact same thing that you were making when you applied. So I think it's great to make those changes and to react to that community that's around you. I think growth as an artist is forever. I mean, maybe some people make a deliberate decision to stop growing. But even if you did, I'm not so sure you could. I don't know. Maybe there's somebody out there with a YouTube video on that. But I sort of doubt it because we sort of can't help but learn as artists by making work. It's impossible not to do that. Anna says, to be clear, the experience didn't have to do with program, just a coincidence of timing. And yes, the money is an issue. Okay. Well, I'm sorry that that happened. And one thing actually that I think is important, if you are thinking about an MFA, is this a good time for me in whatever situation I'm in at the moment? Because it's a huge financial investment, at least in the United States it is. Funding is not easy to get. I know a lot of people ask me about, oh, are there lots of scholarships out there for MFA candidates? And the answer is there are very few. It's not like the sciences. The sciences, they, they're like throwing money at you to get your <laughs> graduate degree compared to the art schools. So unfortunately, there's not a lot of funding. And I feel like there are a couple fully funded programs out there, but there aren't that many of them. And if they're fully funded, take a wild guess what the competition is going to be. Emmy says, what is more worrying is not having any ideas you're taking into the program to begin with. Well, the hope is that you're in a place when you apply to the masters that you really are hungry to make that independent work. And I really was at that point because I had been out of art school for four years and I was teaching art in elementary school and it was fun but I really felt like it wasn't a great place for long-term growth. And so I was really hungry for having that experience when I applied. I, I was so ready to get back to my studio practice because the people at my work, I mean, it was an elementary school. I mean, I was the only art person there. And so there was not a lot of stimulus. Like there weren't a lot of people I could really talk to regularly about my studio practice. And after being at RISD for four years, I really, really missed that. So I totally see that as a motivating factor. Zell is asking, are there students with non-art bachelors and MFA programs? Yes, there are many. And it's 
funny to me because oftentimes students who don't have an undergraduate degree from an art school or as an art major or something like that, they get very worried that, oh no, I'm going to look so bad and so inexperienced. Actually, it's the opposite. <laughs> it's actually, if you are, say, somebody, let's say you're a chemistry major at a liberal arts college, and then all of a sudden you decide you want to get your MFA, that's really unusual. I mean, how many chemistry majors do you think make that shift? And I know Lauren, who was on the stream yesterday when we were talking about MFA letters of recommendation, she said that it was so cool, like, woo, look at the engineer who's doing the MFA program. So in some ways, I mean, it depends on the school, but it's in some ways an asset because it makes you stick out. I mean, think about how many people who get BFAs from an art school who also apply for an MFA studio art program. There's quite a few. I mean, I was one of them. And so out of all those art school graduates, you sort of become almost dime a dozen when you're applying for that MFA program. So if you are an engineer or something totally different, yeah. Zell says University of Missouri has a fully funded MFA program. Good to know. Yeah, I, I think one thing I would caution everybody here, if you are applying for an MFA, don't get sucked into all the big prestigious names. I, I find it very annoying because there's basically Yale and Columbia rule the whole MFA landscape. Everybody wants to go to Yale. Everybody wants to go to Columbia. And I get why, because those are the people that academia is hiring. Almost everybody who got hired in a bunch of full-time positions at RISD, at least in foundation studies, I mean, almost all of them had Yale and Columbia degrees. So I, I can totally understand why people aim for that. But what I tell a lot of MFA candidates is, listen, when you make your school list, don't make the 10 school on your list, don't make them the exact same programs that everybody's applying to. Everybody will apply to Yale, Columbia, RISD, School of the Art Institute of Chicago, probably School of Visual Arts. I know School of Visual Arts wasn't so popular a really long time ago, but I think ever since Sarah Z graduated from SVA, it sort of put them on the map. And so I was consulting with somebody on their school list for an MFA program a little ways back, and they had that exact list of those schools. And I said, listen, it's fine. You can apply to these, but they're absurdly competitive and not because your work isn't good, but because there aren't numbers. I mean, when you have over a thousand people applying for 20 positions, that that's not going to work out, not because of the portfolio necessarily, but there are not that many spots. And so chances are most of those people are qualified, but they just don't have that many spots. And so the important thing, don't just do that list, okay? Look up other programs. There are so many good programs that are at larger universities that could be a better fit for you and are probably not getting a thousand applications for 20 spots in an MFA program. 
Amanda's saying, how long should the statement be? At one point, I had 15 pages, edited it down since then, but it's still long. Oh, well, that's way too long. Yeah. <laughs> I think, depends on school, obviously, but I don't know that I've seen a requirement that's beyond a thousand words. So 15, I mean, I've never written a 15 page artist statement. I think my head would explode if somebody asked me to do that. But it's tricky because you can't just copy paste the exact same artist statement for every single school because some schools say, well, we only want 500 words. Another school will say, we want 750 words. And other schools will say, well, you have to include this, this, and this. And other schools will say, well, just write about your work. And other places will say, we want to know what your plan is for the next five years after graduation. So that's the thing that I think makes the applications extremely time consuming is that you can't just send the same thing to every school. You really have to consider what type of program it is. And yes, it's more work for you, but it does demonstrate to the school when they're reviewing the applications that, hey, you've done your homework and you're not just blindly shooting out applications wherever. You really are thinking about fit. Is the program a good match for the type of artist that you want to be? Really good advice from Anna. Don't assume an MFA is going to gain you a leg up in the art world. My MFA made me a much better artist, but did not launch my career or get me into the galleries I wanted. Me too. <laughs> not at all. Oh my gosh. I mean, I went to a really weird MFA program, the New York Academy of Art. It's a really odd school. It's changed so much. I mean, I, I feel like if I went back to that school now, I probably wouldn't even recognize that it. it's gone through so many versions because there was just super high turnover in faculty. And it was just, it was a mess when I was there, but that was 20 years ago. I mean, maybe it's a very different program. I'm sure it's a very different program, but yeah, degrees don't automatically give you things. They give you something on paper. That's what you get. As far as making those art world connections and really launching a career, sure, it can help in some ways, but there's so many other factors when it comes to an art career. And I don't know if you've had this experience, Anna, but one thing that really bothers me is that a lot of the MFA programs, there's always like one person who gets some massive show right out of grad school. Or if you're a superstar, <laughs> like our very own Lauren Welch, you are having a New York solo show before you get your degree, which is extraordinary. Not everybody gets that opportunity. And I'm just oh, living vicariously every minute through Lauren, who is doing so well in New York City. But it, it bothers me because they always really put that up on a pedestal and, oh, they got plucked. They're in Gagosian now. They're doing so well. And it, it just, it frustrates me because most people don't have that experience. That's not common. And yeah, that's all you ever hear about. You hear about that superstar artist who got picked out of Columbia and is showing at some shishi New York City art gallery. You will hear that all the time, but that is not the norm. And that's what frustrates me because we really don't get to hear the stories of the people who it does not happen to and all the blood, sweat and tears that goes into that and dealing with the constant rejection. And it's, it's hard. It's very hard. 
I mean, why do you think I left academia? I couldn't take it anymore. It was driving me absolutely bonkers. Hannah is asking, how do you know when you're ready for an MFA program? I think, first of all, you have to know why you want to go. Because I have definitely talked to a lot of students who will say to me, oh, I, I guess I should get an MFA. I think that would be good for me. In my opinion, I don't think that's a good enough reason to go. I think you have to have something pretty developed about your rationale for why you think that experience would be helpful. I know a lot of people, they have liberal arts degrees and they never really got to be an art major. And so an MFA is their way of doing that. Like that to me totally makes a lot of sense. But if you have your degree from an art school, your undergraduate studies, you have to ask yourself, well, what am I going to get out of this experience that I didn't already get as an undergraduate art school student? I know for me, I didn't feel fully formed as an artist with a vision. I mean, that sounds so annoying and lofty, but it's true. I, I really did not know much about myself as an artist. And I went to the MFA program to find out what that was. Because when I was in my undergraduate program at RISD, I mean, I learned so much. I loved it. But <laughs> by the end of my BFA program, I, I just felt like this horrible mishmash, this really ugly patchwork quilt of random stuff. And there just was nothing cohesive about it. So I went to an MFA program, not just because I wanted to teach, but also because I was tired of feeling like a patchwork quilt. There's nothing wrong with patchwork quilts. It's just the one that I was was really ugly. <laughs> so I didn't wanna be that artist forever. I wanted to find that cohesion. I know the only way I could have done that was to really buckle down and focus because it's hard to do that stuff when you're holding down a full-time job and life has, of course, its distractions. I love what Ginger here is saying about fit. Ginger says, so hard to see if you're a good fit for a school. I thought I would be a good fit at my current school for my BFA, but I don't think I fit well. It's so hard because we can guess all we want. We can look at the student work, we can visit the campus and everything, but you can't really know until you're actually there. And that's not really our fault. It's sort of an educated guess about where we're going to fit. I mean, I went to RISD undergrad thinking, oh, I'm going to be a painter. And I'm not a painter now. <laughs> it took me a while to figure out, oh, I'm not a painter. <laughs> so it, it did help me a lot because I did my sculpture degree was my MFA. Okay. And so I didn't do any painting. And what's interesting is I sort of said to myself, okay, I'm going to do my master's in sculpture. That's something that will help me be a better painter. I want to have this different experience to be a better painter. And then when I finished my MFA degree, I was like, okay, now it's time to go back to painting, Clara. I didn't. I, I was like, nah, I, I don't feel like doing that anymore. <laughs> so in some ways, the MFA in sculpture that I did, it, it worked out that, I don't know, obligation feeling like I should be a painter, but I'm not, I'm not a good painter. I really am better at all kinds of other things. But yes, it's so hard, Ginger. 
I'm not sure that anybody who goes to school is 100% happy with everything. I don't think that's possible. But yeah, there are some things about art school that are really frustrating. I feel you on that. Yeah, Anna says, the 25-year-old who gets a solo at Gagosian makes me furious. I'm 10 years out, just getting close to where I want to be. I know, it's infuriating. It's like, just boom, you just get this. I mean, I, I think the only thing that hurts more, Anna, every year, this is so bitter of me. Every year when they announce the MacArthur Foundation grants, I'm like, <laughs> I know it's so mean. I should be happy for those people. I guess I am, but I'm mostly intensely jealous because you always read about people who are, I think Kara Walker won it when she was 28. It's like, dude, I could have used that when I was 28. I mean, the work I was doing when I was 28 was not that good. So, you know, I'm not saying I should have won it. But yes, it's it's intensely frustrating. I feel like awards are just around to make people feel like crap about themselves. I know, unpopular opinion, but that's how I feel. Ginger says, is getting an MFA very similar to getting a BFA? Not at all. So different. Depends on the program, obviously, but the MFA is pretty much all independent. What you do. The program I went to did have classes where we painted, but I don't think that's common. And it's so different, especially because people are so much older. I mean, in a bachelor's, your typical student is usually, what, 18 to 21 or so? I mean, when I went to graduate school, two of my best friends were 40, and I was 26 at the time. So I really liked that. But that alone, just the age demographic being so different, is really a big impact in terms of the experience of the program. <laughs> That's true, Lisa. Who can blame the schools? Why advertise graduates who struggle? Exactly. It just it doesn't make the rest of us feel very good. <laughs> like they always have these articles like the art world. There's a new painting star. And yeah, that's great. But I feel like they should have a list every year. Okay, here are the what 50,000 people who still haven't made it, I feel like that would be awesome. <laughs> Just so I could be like, okay, these other 49,000 people know my pain. <laughs> Callie's asking thoughts on low residency MFAs. I don't know a lot about the programs. I will tell you that I did do a mentorship with somebody at the low residency MFA at Lesley University. Actually, now it's called Leslie University College of Art and Design. And so I was paired with this artist. I feel like she requested to work with me. I wasn't on the faculty, though. I was separate. So I guess their program made it possible for you to reach out to non-faculty artists. And I met with her, I can't remember, it was something like once a month. I didn't have that many meetings with her. It was just a few. And she would bring her work and we would talk about it. It was sort of like a studio visit, basically. But I don't remember doing that much more beyond that. Like, I never really talked to the students. I really just worked with her. That was pretty much it. But I think Lowe's residency MFAs, I feel like in some ways it can be more complicated because some places you can be not on campus and other places you can't. I just think that all those low residency MFAs, they're all just really different 
Whereas I feel like the standard studio full-time MFA program, most of them are fairly similar, but the range of structures that a lot of residency MFAs have, it seems to be incredibly diverse. So I would just make sure you do your research. But another option is you can all look at post-baccalaureate programs. I didn't even know those existed until I started teaching at the museum school in Boston. They had graduate students, they had post-bac students, and I had a bunch of post-bac students who were in my classes. And then sometimes I would do studio visits with them and the grad students. And the post-bac students at the SMFA program were fantastic. I loved working with them. In the post-bac program, the difference is that it's almost the bridge between the BFA into the MFA. So for example, if you are the chemistry major who went to a liberal arts college and you're like, oh man, I really have not had the opportunity to have intensive studio time, a post-bac program is actually a very good option for somebody like that. Post-bac programs, I think they're pretty much a year. I knew about the one at SMFA. There was also one at Brandeis University that I think was pretty well known. So that's another reason why I say do your research. You know, maybe a full-time MFA program is not what you need. Maybe post-bac would be sufficient. But you got to look into these things. <laughs> that's that's a difficulty. It's really hard to know. Crispy says, how useful is an MFA degree when applying to studios? And when it doesn't come to teaching, is it needed? Th that really, honestly, an MFA, the only reason you must have it is if you want to teach college. That's the only reason. Other than that, nobody really cares. <laughs> I'm sorry to tell you all that. I mean, some people say, well, if I apply for a high school teaching position, say at a private school that doesn't require certification, is that gonna help me? Not really. I mean, the MFA program exists in a totally different world than secondary teaching, which is elementary, middle school, and high school. They, they really don't relate to each other very much. So yeah, that, that's really the only reason. And some people will say that to me. They'll say, listen, I don't need the MFA for teaching. I don't want to teach later. I'm just doing the MFA for me. And that's fine. If it's something you feel compelled to do because you think it's going to help you as an artist, do it. I mean, there's no reason that's not legit. I just try to explain to people that they don't have to because so much of the time people do feel that pressure. But unfortunately, they're getting that pressure because they're not getting the right information, which is extremely common. That's not really their fault. But that's why I hope we can help dispel some of those falsehoods that people stumble into. <laughs> Good. Anna, you make me feel so validated. <laughs> I'm not a terrible, evil person <laughs> kvetching about the wonder kids. I love that. Emmy says, we've all felt that way with awards and contests. I admit after I failed to get into one writing contest, I took petty pleasure in getting an agent before the person who took my spot did. Oh man, I'd be like, <laughs> I'd be like eating popcorn the whole time. <laughs> you know, one of my favorite words, Schoenenfreud, is a great word. It describes 
probably 50% of my existence. <laughs> That's terrible. Yes. And you know that saying, Amanda, the best revenge is being happy. I disagree. I want Count of Monte Cristo revenge. <laughs> I want to savor every minute. <laughs> yeah, Ginger, people don't even realize how much research. And I do think that's where the internet has been very helpful, that you really can go onto Instagram and DM people that are going to a graduate school that you're interested in. A lot of people are super nice and will reply back and help you out. People DM Lauren all the time about things, and you all know she's a big sweetie. But that's a really great resource because in the olden days, <laughs> we didn't know who was applying. We had never seen anyone else's portfolio except ourselves. All we had was the hard copy school catalog. And so at least now you all have multiple streams of knowledge that you can tap into online. Lalsa says, interested in illustration MFA, not interested in working as one. I just think spending time enhancing those skills in an academic setting would benefit my current work. Is this a bad reason? No. I mean, it's your decision if you think that's going to help you. I just want people to understand that, as Anna said, don't think getting the degree is going to get you the job or the career that you're looking for. And there is a big thing about the MFAs, the academic setting. I mean, I love what I do here, but I confess that the part I miss the most about academia is that hustle and bustle that you see on campus. I loved walking around, going to the RISD store, <laughs> saying hi to the store manager, talking to the artist models on campus, running into students. I loved that. That rhythm was so wonderful. And I don't have that anymore because I'm not on campus. And so there are many benefits to being in an academic setting. I miss all the resources. I mean, when I was at RISD, we had the Nature Lab, we had the Materials Library, we had the RISD Museum. I could go to the RISD Museum print collection anytime and be like, please show me that Michael Mazur again. I would like to see that Kathy Kollowitz. So there's all kinds of things that are part of campus life that you can't replicate in other places. As much as studying on your own online can be very, very impactful. It's not the same thing as a campus life. So keep that in mind. Zell is asking, do community colleges also require an MFA? I think I had a professor who didn't have one who taught studio classes. Maybe I was mistaken. I'm not totally sure. I've never taught at a community college before. My guess is that they would require an MFA because it is college level. Maybe it depends on the school. I mean, in the olden days, <laughs> like my former professor, Tony Janello, he got his job teaching at RISD in the 70s. And their version of a job application was like stopping into the office and being like, hey, want to teach a class? Okay. <laughs> like they didn't have search committees. They didn't have any of the stuff. None of those hoops that we all have to jump through now. So sometimes a personal connection can help with things, but for a full-time tenure track position, they will write, you must have this degree. And no amount of not having degrees is going to get you in, no matter your relationship with the department head. 
Emmy says, do you think skill development's a good reason to get an MFA? I feel like that's all I got out of mine, creative writing, not art, yet it felt pretty worth it to me. I mean, any sustained amount of time that you can find to focus on your work without the distractions of two teenagers who need to show you their orangutan video that they watched is priceless. And so there's sort of no way you could enroll in an MFA program, work on your stuff, and have that be a loss. That's just never going to happen. I just think that there's so much packed in there with professional development and careers that gets in the way. So people have to understand that those are two very different things and that they are oftentimes not related. Lalsa says, the MFA will also help me move up on pay scale in my current part-time teaching job. But for that, I can also get an MPS slash MBA. I really wish I could go back to business school. It would help me so much. I really need that a lot because right now for me, just one big guessing game. <laughs> or it's more like, oh, that didn't work. I guess I'll do something else. <laughs> That's my whole business strategy. Just try it. Emmy says, sometimes what an MFA simply does is it buys you the dedicated time excuse to create. You can get so much work done during years. Oh my gosh. The two years that I was in my MFA, that amount of work that I did is probably equivalent to six years outside of school because there's just so much in life. And I knew when I did my master's, I was like, I'm going to clear out two years. This is what I'm going to do. And most of us don't get to do that very often because we have other things that we have commitments to and people in our lives. Amanda says, art language scares me. I hear so many people sound so smart when talking about their art. Of course, there's false intelligence, but I'm so blunt when it comes to visual arts. I like what I like. I know I, you're not the only one. <laughs> I find all the art language really obnoxious. Whenever I read an artist statement and it's full of that stuff, I mean, I'm so jaded now that my reaction is not, whoa, they must be smart. It's like, oh man. You can't get to the point clearly and succinctly enough that you have to pad your whole statement with all these fancy words, and I still don't know what you're talking about. I think that anybody who can write eloquently about their artwork in straight, plain language, I think it's much harder. I think when people need to use all those fancy vocabulary words, it's just an indication they're just trying to dress it up with a lot of bells and whistles, and it does not make the concept come across more quickly. And in fact, <laughs> you'll all laugh. Here at ArtProf, I tell the staff exactly when you're on the live stream, pretend like you're talking to an eight-year-old. I know that sounds weird, but if you have to explain something to an eight-year-old, you can't use all those fancy words. You have to really think about it. I think it's much harder to explain to an eight-year-old what something means versus all the fancy tech words that you can use with an adult. I'm not impressed by all those words, Amanda. <laughs> Thank you so much, Anna, for the super chat and another one from RB Dick. Thank you so much.
We so much appreciate your support. You are all so wonderful being here with the community. Anna says, sometimes I want to go back just to use the kilns and presses because I can't afford my own studio, ceramic studio, and a printmaking studio. Oh, I know. Wasn't that the dream? <laughs> I didn't even know how much I was going to miss it until afterwards. And it's a bummer because ugh, I love print shops, but they're expensive to maintain. I mean, I have so much respect for anybody who runs a print shop. That is so much work. And to do it well, ugh, I can't imagine all the logistics. Just like the supply orders alone <laughs> make my head hurt thinking about doing something like that. But yeah, that is one wonderful thing is that even if you never get a chance to work in a professional print shop full time again, you still got to have that experience. And I still value that tremendously. So that's something that could feel like, oh, well, only in art school will I get to do that. But it's still valuable just because you can't do it later on. It doesn't mean it doesn't influence you in a positive manner. Zell says, I wish there were more art co-ops that have equipment and studio space where we can just create together. They're really hard to run. I, I can tell you all <laughs> from running the logistics of anything to be reliable and well-organized is a huge amount of work. However much work you all think I do to schedule people to do live streams is probably four times that amount. And I think oftentimes that's the reason why these spaces are rare to exist and to exist well. I mean, there are definitely some out there that are not run well, but it's very hard. You have to run a business, basically. It's a huge amount of work. Crispy says, how do you get the funding for things like an MFA program without obtaining loads of debt and with limited scholarship options? There are not a lot of options. I finished paying my grad school loans, I think, two years ago. I'm 46, okay? That's how long it took. And sometimes that's what it has to be. It's frustrating and it's not fair, but I was really determined to teach college. I, I really felt passionately about that. I do feel like a lot of people will say, oh yeah, I want to teach college, but I like really, really wanted to teach college. This was not just a, oh, I guess I'll do that. In fact, I had an undergraduate student, <laughs> they said, oh yeah, I could teach as a backup. I'm like, that's not how it works. Teaching is not a backup. It's hard to get a teaching job, much less a good one or one that's full time. So teaching is not something you do, oh, whatever. No, it's, it's a whole profession and it's a lot of work to even be considered. The money problem is very real. And yeah, as Ginger's saying, oftentimes debt is the only way to go about doing it. It's a bummer. I mean, there's only a few grants that I can really think of. There's the Elizabeth Greenshields Foundation in Canada, but the grants are so specific. So the Greenshields Foundation, they do not look at anything but realistic figurative work. They actually say it in the grant clause. We do not grant to abstract artists. We do not grant to this, this, and this. So basically you have to do realistic figurative painting 
for them to want to give you a grant. And then there's other grants that are saying, oh, you need to have lived in Denmark for three years and own three hedgehogs to apply to this grant. And I was on this role a little ways back because I was like, oh my gosh, I'm having so much fun drawing on site and traveling. I, I really want to do this more. It's like, oh, I, I should try to do some residencies or something. I did so much research on those residencies and almost all of them were basically you paying for a hotel. That like you paying for the whole thing. I was like, how is this a residency if nothing is covered? I'm like, I might as well just book my own vacation. And then on top of that, they would also have outrageous requirements. So I was like, why am I doing this? I might as well just book a plane to Hawaii. <laughs> It'd be a lot better. I could do whatever I wanted. <laughs> Amanda says, worry about is dropping everything to dedicate my time for me. There's so many people that rely on me. There's so little opportunity for my students to get a quality education. Yes. I mean, I understand why a lot of people who are doing their MFAs are not in their 50s. It's because when you're younger, you don't tend to have as many people who are relying on you. I mean, when could I do that? I have to wait till my kids are out of college. And even then, <laughs> I'm sure they'll find many reasons to need me beyond that. Yeah, Anna says, don't go get the degree if you're not prepared for debt. Emmy says, grants are one of those areas where elitism is enforced the most intensely in the arts. Like in creative writing, I could not get funding as a children's author, fantasy author. Absolutely. There's whole fields with just aren't grants. <laughs> they just don't exist. And then, you know, it bothers me. The grants you can't even apply for. You have to be nominated. It's like, oh, you already have to be successful so we can make you more successful. I'm like, come on, this is not cool. People, <laughs> like, why, why are you giving this to people who already are household names in the field? Like, they're really not the ones that need it. I, I find that incredibly frustrating. It's like, give it to people where it really can have an impact. If you are already at the top of your field, I, I sort of think you're okay without that grant. I mean, of course, it depends on the person, but yes. <laughs> Amanda says, talk to one of my BFA profs about MFA programs. He was a wonderful resource. All I had to do was ask and he gave me pages of stuff. You know something, everybody? Ask. Anytime you want something, go ask. My kid said to me the other day, oh, I discovered that if you talk to the counselors at school and you tell them what you want, they'll help you do it. I'm like, yes, just ask. It is not a bad thing for all of you to just ask because the worst case scenario is people say no. Same thing with letters of recommendation. Worst case scenario is they say no, you got to ask somebody else. And so that's my attitude about everything in life is I'm just going to ask and ask and ask until I get what I want, or I'll just start my own <laughs> platform here and just try to stay alive. By the way, everybody, we still have a few openings for the Commissions for Artists workshop. It is running. First come, first serve. If anybody is interested, we're going to have some great conversations about commissions, which are very dicey. I think a lot of people are frustrated with how to go about doing it. And it is really specific to the artist. Depending on what type of art you do, 
The way you structure commissions could be totally different. We also have space in the drawing and painting clouds workshop. Registration closed last week, but we still have a couple spots. So if you want to register, do it. <laughs> Go to rprop.org. The links are on the front page and we'll see if we can squeeze you in. Oh, sorry. This is supposed to say no Discord chat. Whoops. <laughs> sorry, everybody. I forgot to delete the slide. Anyway, no Discord chat tonight, but I will be back later on Thursday evening to do a BFA live Q&A. So yes, ignore the slide. <laughs> the slide is not accurate. <laughs> there are many ways you can support ArtProf. You can sponsor a video. We have a whole wish list of videos we want to make. These four videos were sponsored by supporters in our community. And I'm so grateful because if they hadn't done it, we never would have made these videos. So consider that because, dude, when Pickle the Pug decided to sponsor our styrofoam cup video, I was just so thrilled. So thank you, Pickle. Pickle's just, oh, we just love Pickle so much. <laughs> You can pledge monthly on Patreon. We have lots of exclusive content, emails, newsletters, Discord channels for Patreon supporters, like these lovely folks who make it possible for us to keep the lights on. We thank you all for your support. I'm sweating a little bit, though, because our Patreon is the lowest it's been in over a year. So we do need that support because yikes, that, that's a lot, everybody. We, I, I can't remember the last time we were below 3,500, and this is low. So yeah, we need your help. Visit artprof.org. For content that's not on YouTube, you can use the search bar to find pretty much anything you're looking for. Artprof has a podcast. It's available on Spotify and also on iTunes. Subscribe to our channel for more tutorials, critiques, and business tips. Everybody, thank you so much for watching. We'll see you next time. Bye.